Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hi and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Stephen. In 2020, just before the lockdown, Celine and I began a documentary film project called The Pink Pound, exploring the relationship between LGBTQ plus issues and commerce. Once lockdown hit, we had to improvise, so most of the interviews moved online. But despite this restriction, we managed to complete a 35-minute documentary, which was put on general release in June. This is the audio version. We'd like to thank our contributors, Dr. Justin Bengry, convener of the MA in Queer History at Goldsmiths College, University of London, Gabriel Dixon, who identifies as bisexual, Simon Green from Peterborough Pride, Abby Garcia, who identifies as queer non-binary, and Keyshawn Smith, who is gay. We really hope you enjoy this special episode of What Should I Think About? And if you'd like to watch the video version of the documentary, the link will be in the show notes. Also, if you'd like to become a patron of the podcast for just a pound or equivalent in your own currency, please follow the link in the show notes. Thank you. I bring you the pink pound. The pink pound. What is it? Does it empower or does it exploit? I began my exploration by talking to Justin Bengry, the convener of the MA in Queer History at Goldsmiths University and author of an upcoming book on the Pink Pound. He started by explaining the early recognition of this potentially lucrative niche market in 1930s London by Men Only magazine. Well, Men Only was a really fascinating magazine in the 1930s. Actually, I've got all the copies of that I own uh, there on the uh, on the mantelpiece. Um, it really tried to play both sides of the coin. Um, but it was also grappling with trying to understand who queer consumers were and trying to think about who these people were that could be understood in terms of their consumption patterns, um, but were also criminalized and were also illegal and were also other. So it sought to speak to them and acknowledge them and recognize that they could be a lucrative market, but it didn't want to alienate other mainstream, middle-class consuming men. So it, 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 it courted queer men very carefully, and it did so using codes, humor, images, very little in the text, actually. A lot of it was visual codings, that if you understood the code, you'd, you'd, you'd cotton on to what was going on. But you could just as easily read these cartoons, look at, look at these messages, um, see these, these phrasings, and not recognize anything. Because if you didn't understand the code, didn't understand these cult, subcultural meanings, it would go over your head. And so it was relatively safe for them to put it out there. But the fact that the producers of the magazine were using very specific 
codes that would only be understood by queer men at that time in the early 1930s signals that they knew what was going on and they knew what they were at. This isn't some kind of accident and this isn't just sort of reading into the past what you want to find there, but in fact shows deliberate strategy. Although no longer needed to protect from the law, coded language remains an important part of the identity within the LGBTQ community. And it's become increasingly commercialised, permeating into wider society. Gabs Dixon. There is a really strong um, dialect that is very prominent in queer communities that's maybe a little bit stereotypical, but that has been popularised by shows like Drag Race, which yeah. is infamously loved by straight women. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't, and regardless, and like straight women show up to their boyfriends, mm-hmm. it's kind of become like like an online lingo and I think it speaks kind of to modern day and to I don't know I guess how kind of globalized we've become how there are less divides in our community than ever before that actually like yes there is a certain queer language but that language is now being used by straight people or is at least understood by straight people like think about the number of women that the straight women they go yeah and play and shady and tea and yeah all of that like it's not just a gay language anymore and i'm sure that in like gay men's clubs there's a whole new set of words okay. that i even as part of the community i'm not going to hear about until 10 years down the line they used on season 23 of drag race simon green association with sailors and things like that i think I think you still do see that, don't you? You do still see uh, there are sort of certain brands and certain products that have a connection with with sailors, quite frankly. Uh, and uh, you know, if you if you look into that, then, then you know those the association between sailors and, and gay culture is clear. So, so I think there are still very subtle. Uh, marketed messages and you know associations you know started way back when as you say but you know there are still brands that you know do sort of do do continue that going forward justin bengry again by the 1990s, there was something called the Gay Lifestyles Exhibition that happened here in London at Adderall's Court, um, and it was it was affectionately known at the time as the Ideal Homo Show. Um, so that's great fun already. And I suppose the trajectory that you'd expect from the way that the study has developed is you start in the late 19th century with some historical figures having greater economic power and being recognized for that by some advertisers and by some businesses, kind of like men only in the 1930s. The tabloids in the 1950s are horrifically homophobic and spreading terrible vitriol. Um, By the period of gay liberation, there's a greater recognition, open recognition, that gay and lesbian consumers are are a valuable part of the economy. So you'd think by the time we get to the 90s, something like the Gay Lifestyles Exhibition is just going to go from strength to strength. In fact, it ran for about three years and collapsed, which is a really interesting, unexpected part of the story. So I'm currently working on researching that a little bit more and speaking to people that were involved in it at the time. Happy Garcia. I don't know if I like that term because, like, I am a human being as well, but I'm not solely identified as my sexuality or as my gender expression. I can also exist out of those things, and I think puts the gay community in a box as well. And 
it doesn't allow them to be anything else than that, it seems. The gay lifestyle does differ from the straight lifestyle in as much as up until recently, gay people haven't so much had kids. Um, they've had kind of maybe different career paths. They've, they've been, I think, I think the queer community has always been more attracted to a more like alternative kind of lifestyle. Um, you're obviously gonna target that demographic in a different way. I almost think that it was like, like this might maybe sound a bit optimistic, but like they weren't targeting like gay people. They were targeting a demographic that had a lot of income but no kids. They had um, that maybe took holidays to certain places. They and I think yeah, I mean they, that does still exist. Mm -hmm. um, even though I think what defines like a queer lifestyle or a gay lifestyle is changing um, now more so than ever. Like a lot of queer people are settling down. They kind of want, they want like a, a traditional family unit, but maybe without, um, with, you know, with two dads instead of a mum and a dad. Or I don't know, the, what used to be kind of a bit more of a hidden lifestyle is maybe now changing. Um, yeah, but I think, like I said, like any demographic is targeted for the things they do. You know, mm -hmm. they're not going to target a teenage girl for the same things they, they target a forty-year-old dad for. Mm -hmm. You know, those things are always going to change. So, like, yes, they targeted the pink pound, but that pound was probably, you know, there's probably the pink pound and there's the middle-aged woman pound and there's mm -hmm. every pound. You know, we're manipulated by marketing all the time, aren't we? Let's face it. You know, we're sort of we're suckers for you know whatever we're into and you know marketing experts are very good at doing it without us realizing marketing is about targeting with relevant products and services so do people feel catered for abby garcia again i, I still do get a lot of uh, marketing to, about like being queer especially on instagram like try this new queer game and i think because i i have a lot of hashtags in my uh, profile um, geared towards queer content. Gabs Dixon again. Probably as my like, search histories become a bit more queer, that my advertising has gotten more queer. Tahishon Smith. They don't always actually reach out towards LGBT people until it hits pride, mm -hmm. and that's using as like a marketing device to be able to like grab more people, and then all of a sudden after pride's done, it's just like, no, it's done. Yeah, that's kind of what I notice at most. I also kind of do notice that kind of thing a bit more often when I use more regularly, like, I don't know how it knows this, but when I use kind of dating apps that are specifically targeted towards like same-sex couples like her and, and those kind of dating apps, then I tend to notice I get a few more like okay. um, adverts targeting mm -hmm. me for that. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, I, it's not something I notice like every day. Yeah. It tends to be kind of concentrated, like, yeah, around ride season. The use of Pride and the rainbow flag for targeting the community was something everybody talked about and had mixed feelings around. I feel like there are some things that doesn't sound like around Pride Month. Everything is targeted towards us. Like you, and that some things are like nice to have, like say for example the Calvin boxes with the rainbow strip. Yeah, they're cute, but like it's targeted to us for that month and then afterwards it's just like nothing. Unlike what I suspect most companies think, I don't need pride on my, you know, on my washing up liquid. I don't need a rainbow flag on my yeah. washing up liquid yeah. <laughs> to, um, to be provided for. I mean, yeah, it's beautiful to have it because that's my flag at the end of the day. However, I feel like 
there's way they, they can promote stories like there's sometimes like i've seen some really beautiful things like say for example coca-cola had a really good advert where there was um, a boy that um, had a crush on the pool boy but then his sister also had a crush on them and like there was a cute little story and then it like towards the end um nobody got the coke but it was like a nice little story but things like that i feel like those sort of adverts that show real things instead of showing like the over-dramatized characteristic things like that's a lot more powerful it does it bothers me it always makes me like less likely to like a company to be sympathetic towards a company if i do feel like they're really trying to pander to me Mm. like they're trying to really influence me and just trying to get my money out of me rather than actually wanting to support my community yeah it's a relatively free market and you know if people want to appeal to a section of of, of the population, then they'll do it. I don't necessarily think that as a community we should feel picked on because of that. As Abby implied, by creating the concept of the gay lifestyle, there is a risk of seeing the community as a monolithic block. But just who is being targeted? I think one thing that is much clearer is those that capitalism speaks to, those that capitalism tries to attract, are those that are the most privileged and powerful in society already. So it's no accident that a lot of the research that I do looks at how businesses are speaking to white cis gay men, because they recognize white cis gay men as having the most money and and act in those interests. But it tends to promote a particularly homogenous and uncomplicated view of a, of a larger community, uh, of a greater and more diverse range of people. So um, we see very little on lesbian consumers. We see very little on, on black minority ethnic queer consumers, people with disabilities, all kinds of other um, uh, intersections of identity um, are, are, are left out entirely. And where this comes into play, especially is when we start seeing imagery and advertising that validate certain lives, couples, existences, relationships over others. So I don't have to look very far to see all kinds of capitalist imagery that tells me being in a relationship with another man is perfectly fine. You go ahead, Justin. That's great. And I see it uh, images. Okay, there's maybe a little bit of ethnic diversity in some of the images, but um, as a white gay man, I have no difficulty in finding those images. A lot of other people don't find those images. And as much as we can criticize what capitalism is doing and what it's exploiting, it's also offering some kind of validity to, to, to existences, or at least people are reading it that way and not seeing yourself in, in advertising, not seeing your relationships in media, not being represented in, in cultural productions, has an impact on people's lives and how they, how they feel about themselves. Specifically towards like my identity as an Asian, I don't really get that from the marketing still. Like in terms of businesses, uh, like you mentioned before, like during Pride Month, everyone's on board with showing their support and saying like, love is love, but that's so broad. And I don't really feel the impact on me personally because it's just kind of feel like my identity is not shown at all. In all honesty, like because I'm a creative, like the representation of gay men, gay black men, particularly within the creative industry, is you know, your profile is either being a stylist or you're a makeup artist or you're a hairstylist. And I feel like sometimes like that stereotype is so damaging towards black people of color. Like we are so we are way much more than that. There are accountants, there are copywriters, there are you know there are cinematographers, directors, producers, all there's a whole shade of people that are out there that are trying to, you know, create and make things. So I feel like 
even though we do some of the societal limitations, I thought the best thing is to eliminate the stereotypes that are out there because, as I said, the stereotypes are being made up as well. All different kinds of trades within the creative industry, they do kind of cap you in a way. And I feel like my thing that I want to do as a creative in this industry is just show like, like we can do, we can be more than just, say, for example, the Pretty Girls Backup. We can be more than just this and that, you know, we can also be intellectual, we can also be very powerful, we can also support each other. And I feel like even, say, for example, in um, films and TV, the way how we're represented at times could be as a caricature, you know, not really taken seriously sometimes, or we're made to be overly camp. And that, you know, takes away our seriousness or takes away from our business aspect where you can be a serious person who can get, you know, develop something or do something. Apart from selling directly to the community, there is another variant of the pink pound. This could be described as the benefits a brand enjoys by being associated with it. Is this a good thing or is this a cynical ploy by businesses? Simon Green again. I've had many conversations, you know, over recent years around sort of Starbucks as a multinational and, you know, whether we should be associated with their support, of, you know, whether we let them in and, and, and all those sorts of discussions. Uh, and I think it is interesting actually that they, as an organisation, are taking a particular stance to support uh, sort of, uh, the transgender community and and I think that should be that should be welcomed I should think that 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 is a lesson really for 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 us as as far as you know uh, our sort of applying our own values of capitalism they're still making a profit off of us they're still exploiting the community to some extent even though they're like oh we're donating but they're still kind of still capitalizing off of it too and so i think just the whole involvement of capitalism with the lgbtq community and having it to like associate as a way to spread spread awareness is just like not a good feeling the potential for even big nasty multinationals i think there's the potential for a lot of good to come from uh, from unexpected quarters. Weird balance because it's like, do you need them or do they need you? So it's like, it's so weird because, you know, we're just so ingrained in capitalism. It's a lot, it's hard to figure out how can we do so without not spreading awareness. So, yeah, it's something I've been trying to understand more and see, hopefully, just transition into like supporting the queer community in like other ways. I think some people like want to applaud these companies for, for being supportive of the LGBTQ community and I just think it's so overdue and so like, oh my gosh, thank you, you'll take my money, yeah. me, <laughs> someone who likes women, oh my goodness, like, mm-hmm. yeah. I, I, oh, I, I hate it, mm. but on the other hand, like, yes, I am going to be more willing to support you, um, but again, it, it's making sure who you support is doing the legwork is is keeping up with what they say they're doing um and to be honest like if a company is consistently throughout the year like supporting 
the community, like I said, they'll shout about it, you will know about it, it won't just be that they're talking about it around Pride season. Mm -hmm. And that's, like I said, it's sustainable change that I'm looking for. It's not just this, like, a month long of, like, lifting this community up only to forget about us for another, uh, the other 11 months mm -hmm. of the year. With Black Lives Matter, there was like a black square that everyone was encouraged to put on their Instagram, but it made me think, kind of makes me feel like the same thing with um, filters. It doesn't do much in terms of helping the community at all. Um, it just, like I said, it's very performative and it's just, it's just to show people you're an ally, but you won't do anything as an, as an ally. And I think that's what it really means to be an ally is to show up and like do the work for these marginalized communities rather than just say like, like post a picture and be done with it. So. You know, there's a hierarchy as there is support and you know, so I don't, I, I think it's okay for businesses and for individuals to dip their toe in and to, you know, to support a little bit or, you know, to, to do it superficially because I believe that, that that leads to somewhere else and that leads to a greater understanding and that gives permission to others. So, so, so I'm a bit of a believer in, in baby steps and, you know, and helping people and not being too precious about uh, allowing people to, to 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 support just a little bit, or you know, uh, to support even superficially, because I think that will lead to something else. I actually was involved with a, a pride campaign um, with my partner, so we filmed a video for a video series um, to share our stories as queer queer Asian Americans, and then. So that video was released last week, and then within like a few hours or so, it was taken down. And so I was curious as to why that happened. And so I emailed like the coordinator, and they were confused. And so that experience just made me realize like what our business is like going through in terms of what's going on with the world right now. Like it seems like they have to choose a target group to exploit in order to like build their brand more like there's no intersectionality when it comes to these groups so i think you know there are sort of banana skins that mm -hmm. you know we need to be mindful of and you know we need to be savvy to the corporate world sort of misusing uh, uh, the, the, the good name of pride if something is using lgbtq as a selling point mm -hmm. i want to see that they're like donating some of their profits mm -hmm. to LGBTQ organizations and if a company is doing that like they'll want you to know about it they will put it in the first line of the product description they'll put it on the flyer they'll put it they'll put it where you can see it. it, it you know it's 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 okay for businesses to profit from association uh, there should always be the dialogue as far as you know what's the two-way you know what are you giving back and how and how you know, how are you putting yourself out there? John Stephen, uh, one of the entrepreneurs of Carnaby Street that really got the ball rolling on men's fashion um, in the UK in that period, um, applied what were previously subcultural queer styles from from the community of which he was a part, but then remarketed them to 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 become part of that mainstream swinging London um, Carnaby Street male fashion, sometimes androgynous, sometimes more well perceived to be more effeminate or sissified um, as as the press accused. Stephen came out of a queer subculture and was using those styles and marketing them. The anxiety within the community may be that that's diluting mainstreaming where, where you know, there's some 
purity and some sort of different meaning to subcultures actually and and once subcultures become sort of mainstream then uh, then in that change of identity you do lose something uh, so I think that is a legitimate sort of concern. I suppose we can't ever demand that these cultural forms are are put under a glass jar or held in aspic or something. They're going to transform and change. And I think this this sense that we want it to be preserved only for LGBTQ people suggests almost suggests that it's not possible for LGBTQ communities to have anything else come up and be significant and evolve as significant for them as well. Um, it's also, like I said, impossible to police that. So looking at things like fashion, in the case of John Stephen, or Drag Race with RuPaul, the useful possibility is to critically engage with that. And again, is it in danger of homogenizing drag cultures into something that's more American and commercial, whereas there are other forms of drag and other drag cultures that exist that are now being potentially obliterated by the success and power of this particular vision um, of, of drag and what it does. Um, who's being represented among contestants and who isn't? Um, what's being said about the dynamics between, between drag, gender roles, trans issues, all of these things? And certainly that's something that has been uh, a significant concern for, and rightly so, of people that are critical of, of drag race and RuPaul, and something that it seems to be evolving, I suppose, in, in how drag race is attending to these issues. If you look at Coke, I think it was Diet Coke, they were selling cans with like, yes, on them. Oh. And I'm like, yes was coined by like, um, black drag queens. Yeah. And now it's printed to, on Diet Coke cans and like oh. sold. And it wasn't like a Pride Month special, this was like two months ago, this was in like December. Oh. They're selling Coke cans with yes queen, like written on them. Mm-hmm. Which is like, it's absolutely, it's, you see these codes being used. Like, I don't know, I would almost be interested to know if places that are prime-related have stopped using these words because they're so used by oh. straight mainstream now mm-hmm. that they almost, they're a little bit like, I don't know, I know more, like, I know quite a lot of gay people that, like, cringe when they hear these, like, stereotypical yeah. words mm-hmm. because they're like, oh, God, like, why? That's the only thing that, that yeah. is associated. That's, like, mm-hmm. so typical. I think that can also be problematic as well. I understand they're trying to be trendy and a lot of, like, Corporations or, or people or influencers are using like yes queen or any other like terms in the queer community without understanding the context and without understanding where they came from. And essentially that's like capitalizing off of the queer community. And so I feel kind of strange about that um, because they're able to use these terms but don't recognize where it came from and don't support or maybe they don't. Um, are maybe they're not active in terms of like supporting these communities, even though they constantly take um, things away from the community. What um, at, to capitalize or to broaden their brand? So yeah, yeah, it's weird. If people want to enjoy it, then you know it's not up to me to say you know that doesn't belong to you or that belongs to me more than it belongs to you. Drag's really important. You know, don't get me wrong. You know, I think you know what. What it does for individuals, and you know what, and the the role it has in people's lives, uh, and the change it can make, the confidence it can give someone, 
uh, is incredible. Uh, so, so you know, the, that needs to be recognised. Uh, I think, you know, that doesn't mean to say it needs to be restricted to a seedy backstreet pub. Do you know what I mean? The same benefits from drag, you know, can be can be had by a greater number of people. And actually, you know, the the, the you know a greater number of people can enjoy the the many benefits of it. So, uh, yeah, I'm all for that. Yeah. <laughs> a gay man that takes. All this is inverted commas, but say a gay man takes gay styles from a gay subculture and sells it back or sells it more uh, to a more mainstream audience. Is that inappropriate? Is that appropriation? Is that exploitation? What about someone who identifies as straight? What about someone who's married with kids but is actually has his boyfriend on the side or, or, or has that as a cover or is bisexual or has a much more complicated sexuality? What do you do with businessmen, businesswomen, entrepreneurs, others that are doing any of these things? It's, it's a tough one. I mean, I think we tend to valorize those that fit the right type sometimes um, when, in fact, others are doing things that aren't that different. Pride means lots of things to lots of different people and lots of businesses. Mm. And, you know, and I think... Uh, very easy maybe to fall into the trap of being part of the community that this is for us and you know this is and and it's ours really to control uh, whereby I, I perhaps see pride being being a little different to that and you know that that may have been the case in history but I think as pride evolves then for me it's it's, it belongs to everyone, really, uh, and you know, and I think uh, allies of LGBT communities, you know, have have, have just as much ownership over Pride as, uh, as, as 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 someone like myself. Just speaking to the handful of people making this documentary has demonstrated a wide range of feelings about pink commerce. I was taken by the general positivity by the people we spoke to, but hedged with some concern over the need for authenticity and involvement of the many voices in what can sometimes be considered a homogenous group. My final question was around the future of the Pink Pound and how they saw it developing. I've got a real focus on like grassroots and like mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. charity and I've spoken about that a lot, but I would just I would just ask that more of it gets donated. I'm very proud of the community, I'm very proud of gay people and what they've achieved before and I like to be associated with that. So many identities in the queer community and I think it'd be great for at least uh, these big corporations to shed a light um, on these stories and possibly like be more like be transparent if they were to get monetized off this it'd be great if they could donate to those organizations that support these marginalized groups that's what this whole thing is about sharing stories sharing information presenting from that we can grow you know we get nothing from being silent and being nonverbal because it allows a system that's already in place to keep progressing and to be unchallenged. You know, things change and the challenge is hard. But like once you say that, you know, this is something that I recognize and it's something that shouldn't be there and you challenge it, then you know there's a way for movement to happen, there's a way of change that happen. The future of the Pink Pound I think is going to be fraught. 
there's going to be, there already is a lot of pushback um, against uh, the, the actions of capitalism in leaving people out, in prioritizing some over others. Um, so I think there's going to be a greater acknowledgement, but I don't know how much real change is going to come about um, because ultimately there are far bigger social, cultural, and economic issues at play that are keeping many people economically marginalized over others. So that goes beyond just the machinations of capitalism. It really speaks to the power of the state, um, the destruction of, of, of the welfare state, of, 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 of issues around social mobility uh, and opportunity that are much more than just who we see in advertising.